All right. Good morning. Well, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. If you would like to turn over there with me in your Bibles, that's really where we're going to kind of spend the majority of our time this morning. You know, I find Matthew chapter 1 a really, really interesting chapter um, because, you know, Matthew gets the opportunity to set the stage for the arrival of Jesus. You know, he's our leadoff apostle. You know, he starts it off and he's the first one that gets to talk about Jesus here on earth. And there's so many great ways to start that story off when you think about it. You know, I know we're in the Christmas spirit and we're talking about Jesus' birth. And, um, you know, there's so many great places to start. You can start with uh, the angel coming to visit. That's a, that's a cool thing. You know, when an angel comes, something good good's typically going to happen unless you're in Revelation, right? <laughs> but, you know, you can talk about the angel or that name, Emmanuel, God with us. What a great name. Or you could talk about Joseph and Mary. You could talk about the wise men, the star of Bethlehem, no room at the end. There's just so many really cool places that you can start this story off. And that's why Matthew is so inter- Matthew 1 is so interesting to me because out of all those cool places you can start, why does he immediately dive into this long 50-ish name genealogy? You know, I mean, it's kind of dull, right? I mean, it's not a real interesting way to start it. As a matter of fact, Luke includes a genealogy as well, but like he buries it like three chapters in, you know? I mean, it's just not a real interesting place to start off. And look, look let's be honest. I debated on whether I should say this, but um, the crowd's a little light this morning, so I, I, I think I'm in good company, and I will say this. I'm just going to throw this out there. Don't judge me. Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible... And I come across one of these long genealogies like this, I skip them. I do. All the time I skip them because they're boring, okay? They're, they're just not really that interesting. And it just baffles me that Matthew would start off this way. But I will say this, Luke includes a genealogy and Matthew includes one, so they must be important, Right? So this week I dove into this genealogy and I kind of pulled back some of the layers to see what I could find. And I got to tell you, I noticed some interesting things that I want to share with you this morning. So you can just kind of follow along if you would like. Beginning in verse 2, we come to the first name that he brings up and that is who? Abraham. And that's a great place to start this story because when God decided he wanted a people, He started that with Abraham. And he told Abraham, you know, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. And Abraham was given the miracle of Isaac. And we know that story, how God tested him and and told him, you know, sacrifice him. But it was just a test. And Isaac would go on to have Jacob and Esau. Spoiler alert, not in that order, okay? And they are typical brothers. They fight, and we realize that Jacob is the smarter of the two because he kind of, you know, swindles his brother out of his inheritance, right? But that inheritance included that same promise that God had given Abraham, that that there would be a mighty nation come out of this. And so we start to see that take hold with Jacob because he has 12 sons, and each of them have 
large families, and these families would be known as the 12 tribes of Israel, another name that God had given Jacob in Genesis 32. And we don't even have to look. We know which tribe Jesus came out of, right? Because he's known elsewhere in the Bible as the lion out of the tribe of Judah. And there in verse 2, you have those first four names, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. And so it seems like right off the bat here, maybe Matthew is doing like a who's who, right? I mean, we're talking about these big names, um, these big uh, 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 names out of the Old Testament, you know, the, the names that you are taught when you're in Sunday school, well, they're important. Why? Because they show up here in Jesus' Jesus's lineage. But there's still a long list of names to go before you get to Jesus, right? And so you, you continue on to see where he goes. So in verse 3, Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Okay, so I took a pause here when I was digging into this because Tamar is interesting for two reasons. First of all, women weren't typically included in genealogies like this. I mean, they just weren't. You can look at Luke's example um, uh, if you want as a format. It's typically father, son, father, son, father, son. Now, I'm seeing some angry eyes out there, so let me just add not my rule, okay? I didn't come up with that, all right? I'm just going off of what they've shown us. But the second thing is that I didn't really remember Tamar's story that well. She just didn't stand out to me. It didn't ring a bell. So I looked her up. And you can look her up as well. She's in Genesis 38. But I'm going to hit the highlights for you, okay? And the first thing that I uncovered about Tamar is that she married a man who was so evil, God put him to death. All right? It's a bit to unpack, right? We'll leave that for Casey. We want to know how Tamar gets into Jesus' story here, right? Well, so now Tamar's a widow because she lost her husband. And Judah comes along. We know how difficult it was back then for, I mean, women in general, but especially for widows. And so Judah comes along and he shows her this great kindness. And he says, you know what? You would make a great wife for my son, Shalah. But he's not old enough yet. So how about this? You just kind of live in my area, and then um, when Shalah gets old enough, you guys can get married. But the question is, well, why doesn't Shalah show up here in Genesis 1, or in Matthew 1, excuse me? Uh, you know, because it says Judah and Tamar had Perez. So how did that happen? Well, it's interesting. Because later on, Tamar and Judah would run into one another in another town. Okay, And when they ran into one another, Judah didn't recognize her. And he didn't remember any of these promises that he had made to her. And as a matter of fact, Tamar kind of falls victim to a, a kind of a case of mistaken identity. Because Judah, well, he thinks she's a prostitute. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how we get Perez and Zerah. I know, it's kind of comical. Because I sit here and I think, why include this? You know what I'm saying? Like, why does Matthew bring this up? You know, if I'm, if I'm looking at it through Tamar's, uh, you know, shoes, I guess, you know, she's, uh, a, you know, married the wrong person. She kind of feels abandoned, I guess, you know, arguably by God. 
Um, She's given like this series of promises that are left unfulfilled. And then on this kind of questionable encounter, twins, you know, I, I, I just... I just don't know. I guess, I guess the more layers you pull back on this, kind of the messier this story looks. And I, it just kind of begs me the question, well, why is Matthew including this in here? I, I just don't know if we're setting the stage for the arrival of the Savior of the world. Do we want to include this in that conversation, you know? And, you know, I go back to my first point. Women weren't typically included in genealogies. And if you look, you can just like, just mark through whose mother was Tamar. And it doesn't change the story at all. As as a matter of fact, it doesn't change anything. It's still very accurate. So if you can take her out and it doesn't change anything, I mean, why include her? Does she really add something here? But, you know, maybe Matthew was, you know, maybe he made a mistake. I don't, I don't know. You know, I, sometimes I send emails in the morning and I look at them in the afternoon and I'm like, well, I should have had another cup of coffee, all right? So maybe Matthew just made a mistake. Maybe he's tired. I mean, he's good, like, what, three verses in? Uh, you know, so maybe he's just, you know, hey, we'll just chalk this up to a mistake. And that's what I did. Strike one for Matthew, and I just kept going. So let's do the same. So Perez is the father of Hezron. I'm in the middle of verse 3. Hezron is the father of Ram. Ram is the father of Aminadab. Aminadab is the father of Nashon. Nashon, Salmon. Salmon is the father of Boaz, whose mother had been Rahab. Okay, well, time out again, all right? (laughs) Because if Judah mistook Tamar for something she wasn't, you can make no doubt about it, that's what Rahab was. And as a matter of fact, that was her career, okay? And I, I wrote down two titles for Rahab. I, I called her a, a survivor because of obviously her profession. She's just trying to make ends meet, right? But also how she interacts with God's people. You see, they were going in and they were going to attack this city in Joshua chapter 2, okay? And then uh, they sent spies in and these spies wound up staying with Rahab. Well, Rahab recognizes that they're spies. She realizes what they're here to do. And so she says, hey, I tell you what, I will hide you. I will help you escape. And as a matter of fact, I will lie on your behalf if when you attack this city, you leave me and my family alone. And so you can see Rahab is just a survivor. But she also has another title that I gave her in my notes, and that's the worst neighbor ever. Because she sold out the entire town. And uh, spoiler alert, it finishes off the story in Joshua 6. And they all die except for her and her family. And how do her and Boaz uh, uh, wind up uh, coming into this? Or excuse me, Salmon, how do they wind up getting together? Well, when God's people moved into that city, Rahab was just still there in the rubble. You know, and... Again, I'm just kind of like, why include this in here? I mean, does the name Rahab belong alongside the names like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You know, does the name Rahab belong in the lineage of Jesus? I just, 
I don't know. I, and, and I guess probably my, my biggest question with Rahab, other than, you know, no one's really modeling themselves after her. You don't look in a yearbook and see the name Rahab very often. This is not uh, someone that we're trying to um, 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 present ourselves as. I guess the biggest problem I have is she's an outsider. Like, she's not even part of God's people. As a matter of fact, I mean, she's lived her whole life in an enemy camp, an enemy of God's people. So why, why are we including her here in Jesus' story, right? This is not a who's who. And you can kind of go back to the same point with Tamar. I mean, you can just kind of go in right here and take out whose mother had been Rahab, and it doesn't change anything. I mean, you can just remove her from this little passage and just kind of go on. So why bring her up? And I know what you guys are thinking right now. You guys are thinking, man, he really doesn't like these women in the Old Testament. And that is not true. That is not true. As a matter of fact, you can look the next line down. There are some really good women that are mentioned here. Look at this. Um, So Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth's awesome, right? We like Ruth. I like Ruth. Ruth was loyal and faithful and kind. And uh, I mean, Ruth's awesome. Ruth's like a, a celebrity, you know? Matter of fact, you could argue that she was an outsider as well, but she knew God's people. She knew their ways. And God honored her faithfulness through Boaz. He brought her in and said, hey, I want her as my wife. Ruth's, Ruth's awesome. I think we should maybe even consider giving Ruth more room. I don't even have to go into her story. If you've been in a ladies' Bible class in, like, let's say, the last thousand years, you've talked about Ruth. If you don't know her story, you can look her up. In that book, they named after her. The only woman who has one. And not only that, Ruth makes way for some other big names. Look at this. Let's keep going. Uh, Ruth, uh, uh, Boaz was the father of Obed. His mother had been Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. Now we're talking, right? King David. We're back in the who's who, right? Notice the only person in this whole list here who gets a title, King David. David's awesome. David, if Ruth is a celebrity, David is a rock star, okay? I mean, King David was a great title, but he has another title that has roots like in 1 Samuel 13, the man after God's own heart. How do you get that title? What do you got to do to get that title? I would settle for like much less, like the guy who thinks God has a sense of humor, you know? David is a rock star. And not only that, let's talk about the Psalms. You, if, if you go to Mardell's and you see a poster with a psalm written on it, or if you just like close your eyes and thought of a psalm in your head, chances are David wrote it. Most of these songs we sing, they came out of the mouth of David, these lyrics. David is awesome. And we're talking about Jesus's origin here. I mean, Can anybody here say that they slayed a giant when they were a kid? David's got a great origin story. David is awesome. What of his many accolades do we want to talk about here? Well, let's see. Um, David was the father of Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, arguably the richest man who ever lived, rebuilt the temple. 
We all know where super smart kids get it from. Dad. <laughs> Seeing more angry eyes. <clears throat> One set in particular. Um, David was the father of Solomon. This is a great accolade of David. He's awesome. Whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Uh, I mean, this is not where I would have gone with that, okay? I mean, David is like the best character out of the Old Testament. And, I mean, this is like the worst story out of the Old Testament. Because if you don't know, Uriah's wife, uh, well, her name is Bathsheba. And, well, their story is in 2 Kings 11. And, well, I mean, it's just, it's bad. It's bad. I don't even know that we would need to go into it. I mean, most of us know what happened there, right? And so I, I sit here at this point, and it's like, what is Matthew doing, you know? I mean, you go through the rest of this list, and it looks like this. There's some good characters in there, but there's also some horrible stories in there. Throughout this entire list of 50 names, it's like, okay, bad, okay, so-so. And it just looks like, as we're setting the stage for Jesus, it's like, Matthew is just like digging up all these old skeletons, but he's not really throwing us any bones, you know? And so I just keep going back to the question, well, why is this? What is he trying to do here? And we don't have time to go into this list, but I will tell you, uh, it took me a little bit, and I actually had to kind of take a step back. And I think that's the best way to judge a line, right? So, like, if you're going to the airport or if you're at Costco and you're getting ready to check out, and it's like, okay, let's make our way to the cash register, it's my job to be like, all right, we're going right here, everybody, over this way. Let's go. We're going through this line. I do it at theme parks, all that. Because the further you get back, the better view of the line you get. And I think as you take a step back and you look at this long line, you can see Matthew might be trying to tell us something. And I've got three things that I've come up with that I think he's trying to say with this long list. The first is, this is us. This is what we look like. This is life before Jesus. And you could even take this and apply it to your own life. And, you know, because there's abandonment issues in here. There's bad decisions. There's cover-ups. There's all sorts of just messy situations here. And you know what? That is kind of what our own lives look like before Jesus comes along, right? And the second thing is, I think the reason... David or Matthew is not pulling any punches here. The reason that he is just laying it all out on the table is because this mess is exactly why we needed Jesus. This right here. Because we tried it on our own and this is what it looks like. 
And so that's why Jesus was brought into the world, because we couldn't get it right. I'm reminded of a verse from Romans 3, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When I look at this list, but then I'm also reminded of that verse out of Hebrews 4 that says, and he was just like us, yet without sin. And I'll share uh, um, a thought from a gentleman by the name of Chris Seedman. He's a preacher who I'm a big fan of. And um, he, uh, the very first time I heard him speak, he used this phrase, and I, it never left me. And he was kind of speaking along similar context. And um, he said, you know, you really can't get the message of Christ without the mess. And I think that's so true. Like, you can't get the message of why Jesus was needed without looking at the mess that we had become. And then the last point, and I'm going to go ahead and ask the praise team. They can come on out here if they want. I'm going to kind of wrap this up with one thought here. And that is, you know, our line may look bad, but Jesus changed the ending. Jesus changed the way that story plays out. And when he came into the world, he changed the world. And I think this holiday, as we sit here and we take just a moment to look at and to remember what um, it means for the Savior of the world to come into the world, I think we also can take just one moment to remember what that gift was to the world and what that gift was to each of our lives. Because he is rewriting the ending to the story. And there is no better person in the Bible to share that than Matthew. I mean, Matthew, the tax collector, when they said the word sinner in the New Testament, it was always followed with and tax collector. He had no reason being involved with the likes of Jesus, but Jesus took him in and changed his story. And not only that, Matthew helped write Jesus's so that we could see the change that had been made. And so... I leave you with that thought. I hope this, this Christmas, I, I hope as you, you, you remember how Jesus came into this world and, and you look at maybe this story and you look at maybe this lineage that you remember what he has done in our lives and how he's affected. And the praise team is going to lead us in a song here in just a moment. And as our custom is, if you have a need, you can come down. If you need a prayer or a hug or whatever you would like, you know, you're welcome to do so. And if you haven't allowed Jesus to take hold of your story, if you haven't stepped into this line because you maybe you're an outsider or maybe you feel abandoned or maybe decisions that you've made, um, you know, you feel like don't allow you a place in this line, well, hey, you can jump in with us because none of us really belong in Jesus's story. But that's the beauty of it because he makes room for us all. And so if you haven't, you can do that 
as well this morning. And as we close, I'm just going to give you one scripture that Casey preached on just a few weeks ago, but I think is just so fitting here. And then I'll hand it over to Hugo and our praise team. And this is out of Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded in citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thank you.